Hi, I'm Kathy, and in today's message, Pastor Ray talks about the 21-day fast Vine Church will be doing. The title of this message is called Fasting is Feasting, and Pastor Ray goes over the importance of fasting and why it is beneficial in your relationship with Jesus. If you are not a part of the fast yet, it's not too late to start. Text FAST to 877-884-0988. I hope you enjoy this message, and remember, just keep coming back. So the title of my message, if you're taking notes, is Fasting is Feasting. Fasting is Feasting. You know, fasting is one of those things that is kind of Christianese. It's kind of one of those things that we all know. It's kind of one of, one of those things that, uh, that we already are connected with, that we already heard of. And a lot of Christian life is about basic things. I don't know if you know this. But a lot of Christianity is about basic things that seem simple, but that carry depth over time. I don't know if you ever stopped to realize this, but Christianity is about doing small little things that don't seem real significant. But over time, those things build up and they carry and they actually become very significant in our lives. That's what, that's what Christianity is about. You, you might not think, it, it, there's a lot of times that this happens. You know, an example of this, a practical example, the other day... I was reading the Bible, and I was in everybody's favorite book, the book of Leviticus, everybody's favorite book, um, the book of Leviticus, and I'm there reading, and as I'm reading on, uh, on a Monday, I come up on a passage, and this is my, my, my Bible reading of the day, and the Bible reading of the day said this, do not make sacrifices to the goat gods. So inspiring, right? So inspiring, so deep, so profound. Do not make sacrifice to the goat gods. Now, I, I, look, I don't usually brag about this, about, not be, about being righteous, about doing this, but I can tell you with a fact that I've never been tempted to sacrifice to goat gods. So I said, check, I, I, can, I got this, God, this, this is good. And it was just kind of mundane. And, and right after that, the next day, my Bible reading, I was still in the book of Leviticus, and I started reading a passage And it was just a simple passage that God told the people of Israel. He said this. He said, when you go to collect harvest, do not collect all of the harvest. Leave some. And then he said this. Leave them there for those who do not have. And I just thought that was so profound. That God is a God who takes care of even the smallest little details. That God wants us to leave. Even in Leviticus, he's taking care of the ones who don't have. He's taking care of the ones who who need. He's taking care of the ones who are lacking. He's always looking for the ones who are broken. And even in the Old Testament, he's taking care of the ones that don't have. And so it was so beautiful to look at that. And I started, you know, even getting emotional, thinking about God's care for us. And something so simple became something profound. I want to tell you right now that Christianity is about doing a lot of simple little things that actually over time become profound. You can go to your life group and you can think, oh, my life group, it it, it wasn't a Holy Spirit revival in my life group. People weren't getting baptized in tongues. But let me tell you something. Showing up daily, showing up consistently, being there, being present over time, you know what that does? It creates transformation inside of you. A lot of people are nodding their heads because... I believe that you know this, that you might be, how many guys have ever had this experience where somebody's asking you for advice and it seems like nothing is changing in your life, but then you start to counsel somebody and as you're helping counsel that person, you kind of stop and you take him back and you say, whoa, when did I learn that? Whoa, when did I get that? Like, I don't even remember. And, and, and a lot of that will be developed when 
in the mundane. A lot of that will be developed when? When you're not noticing. A lot of the words that you received is the words that you didn't even notice. A lot of verses that I know, a lot of scripture memory verses that I have in my life that I use even to this day, you know what happened? I learned them when I was a kid in Sunday school. And I didn't think much of it. But it got in me. A lot of Christianity is about this. And one of the things that, that Christianity has as one of its foundation is this principle of fasting. No one really likes fasting, to be honest. I'll tell you one of my favorite parts of fasting is breaking the fast. Um, and, 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 and nobody really likes it, but it's necessary for our growth. It's necessary for our development. And people make a lot of confusion about this. John Calvin, he was a, a, a very uh, famous, he's a very famous theologian. He, he's one of the reformers. He's, he's a great man of God. He says this. He has a quote. If you can put it up for me, Gio, the quote. I don't know if you, you have it. I sent it to you. It says, he said this. He said, let us say something about fasting. Because many of, many of us, for want of knowing it's useful, we undervalue its necessity. Some reject fasting as superfluous, while on the other hand, some have fasting as a superstition. Look what he says. Some regard fasting as superfluous, while on the other hand, some take it in superstition. I want to tell you, there are two groups that believe about fasting. There are two groups that understand about fasting. And the two groups that understand about fasting, you're going to see in fasting, is this. That one group will say this. We got the Spirit. We're in grace. We already know God. We relate with God. God is living inside of me. And so I don't need to fast. And there's a lot of Christians who think, I don't need to fast. I don't have to fast because I'm, I'm, I'm full of grace of God. I'm full of the Spirit of God. I've got the Word of God. So what, what am I going to do fasting? Another group will say this. Another group of Christians will, will turn and they'll say this. Let's fast because when we fast, we can control God. One group will say, Let me I don't need to fast. One group will say, every time I fast, it's because I want something from God and I'm trying to fast to get something from God. So we have to understand, what is fasting? Turn to your neighbor right now and ask your neighbor, say, what is fasting? Are you guys with me? What is fasting? Come on. I, I didn't see. Turn to your other neighbor. I'm going to give you guys another chance. If you guys are responding with me in this word, turn to your other neighbor and say, what is fasting? I want you to understand some important things about fasting before we jump into it. The first important thing that I want you to understand about fasting is that fasting is not unique to Christianity. As a matter of fact, almost every monotheistic and polytheistic religion has and utilizes fasting in some point of its spiritual formation. Even Joe Rogan fasts. The, the, you don't have to be necessarily a Christian to understand what fasting. The trend right now in health trends is intermediate fasting. How many of you guys have ever heard of intermediate fasting? You're not a Christian. You can, you can know that. You can listen to a podcast and, and get that. But fasting as a Christian is a little bit different, and it's completely broken off from any other different type of fasting. Look, I want to tell you something. Fasting is mentioned more than 70 times in the Bible. More than 70 times in the Bible. I, I wrote down some examples here um, for, for us to look at. If you're taking notes, I want you to just write this down, um, these, these examples. Some examples of fasting are Daniel chapter 10, verse 3. I ate no choice food. I did not eat meat. Wine did not touch my lips. 
for three weeks. That's Daniel. Ezra says this. And so we fasted and we asked God and we prayed and he answered our prayer. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking about fasting. It says this, when you fast, notice what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't say, it doesn't say if you fast. Jesus says what, guys? When you fast. When you fast. Everybody say when. Do you know what that when implies? That Jesus implied that all believers would do what? Fast. He doesn't say if you fast. He says when you fast, put oil on your head. Wash your face so that it's not obvious that you are fasting, so that only your father knows that you are fasting. Jesus was saying, when you fast, don't look beat. Don't, 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 don't announce it to the whole world. I'm fasting, I'm fasting, I'm fasting. He's saying instead, let it be a private matter of you and God. We're going to get into why we do it as a corporate church, but, but right now I want you to look. Another passage it says this, Joel chapter 2, even now declares the Lord, return to me with your heart and return to me with fasting. God required it in Joel. Look at it in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, New Testament now. So after they fasted and they prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. New Testament. Here's another book of Acts reference, New Testament reference. It says this. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan. This is, this is uh, Matthew, actually. Left the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days where he was tempted. And he ate nothing during those days. He fasted during those days. Acts chapter 13, it says this. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Lord said to them, set apart. Fasting is a common practice. In Christianity, but today I want to try to take a deep dive in these next, you know, 25 minutes. I want to take a deep dive into the biblical understanding of fasting and what fasting does to us, the importance and the value of fasting for your life, and how fasting can transform your life. Are you needing a breakthrough? A lot of times you are not going to fast to get the breakthrough, but I will tell you something breakthrough comes through fasting. You see, fasting, I'm going to get into this, it's not bargaining with God, but I want to tell you every time you fast, you will come out of the fast better than how you come into the fast. Every single time you respond in God, in this, and you empty yourself out, I'm getting ahead of myself, and you fill yourself up with the Lord, you will be transformed. Is anybody with me this morning? Anybody agree with me this morning? So I want to talk about this. I want to get in to this and and before I jump in we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9 verse 14 open up your Bibles Matthew chapter 9 verse 14 this is where we're going to kind of start our message but before we do that I want to pray with everyone Matthew 9 14 let's read this together and then let's pray Matthew 9 14 Jesus' question about fasting and the context of this passage is that um, the Pharisees and John the Baptist's disciples, you see, they're, they're, they're not buddies. But in this one point, they both kind of pair up in this point, and they start to question something together. Now, they don't, they don't even necessarily like one another, but, but, but they connect because they find a common point of confusion. And so they're asking this question to the disciples of Jesus, why is it that we, the Pharisees, we fast? Why is it that we, the disciples of John, we fast, but you, Jesus, who is the Messiah, your disciples do not fast? And this is where the question 
shows up. And, and this is where we're kind of going to be a little bit in this, in this sermon, in this moment, this morning. So let's read this together. John 9, 14. The Bible says this. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unstrung cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the old wineskins break. The wine will be spilled. The wineskins will be ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. This is what I want to talk to you guys about this morning. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Jesus, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to us. We ask that you would reveal to us your goodness and your kindness, that you would bring truth and revelation here this morning, God. We open up our hearts. We ask and we invite your word to come into our lives and to make a difference, Jesus. Just I pray that you would encounter fertile soil in our hearts, Jesus, soil worthy of a seed, Jesus, to be planted in, Jesus. And so just as your word comes to us, let our hearts be fertile. Can you just pray right now in your own way, just for, no, five seconds, six seconds, just ask God right now, say, God, open up my heart to receive this word. Can you pray? Let me hear your voice right now. Jesus, we just pray right now across this room. We just ask, Holy Spirit, that your word would come and encounter us, Jesus. Find fertile soil, Jesus. Produce fruit, Jesus. Do not let your word return empty, Jesus. In your holy name, we all pray. And everybody says? Everybody says, guys? I want to I talk about this. I want to speak on this. I want to bring a little bit of context and, and revelation, understanding about fasting in, in this passage here that we're on right here, Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. But for us to understand this, I, I want you to get this example that Jesus uses. Jesus tells us about a wedding. Now, we were at a wedding this week. I had the honor and the privilege of, of, of being able to do, officiate the wedding of, of one of my spiritual sons and, and disciples and, and somebody who I, I love so much. And right now, he's in Puerto Rico enjoying his life. And, 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 I, and I, told, I told everybody, I said, look, you guys are not allowed to text him and bother him. I, I told him before he went on his honeymoon, I said, look, do not count your money on your honeymoon. Spend, enjoy. It's once in a lifetime. Have fun. Like, go and, 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 and enjoy your time together. And we were at the, 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 the wedding ceremony. And, and weddings are beautiful. Weddings are, are, are beautiful. Weddings are, are wonderful. It's good to be at weddings. I don't know about you, but I, I like to be at weddings. I have this thing, though, and if you ever invite me, I'm sorry. This is kind of how I am. I judge the wedding based on two things. If there is a presence of God in the wedding, and two, is the food good? If the food is good and there's presence of God, the wedding is a success for me. If, 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 if the food is not good and, and, and there's not that much presence of God, then it's okay. If there's no presence of God but there's good food, uh, if, if there is presence of God, no good food, eh, but, 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 but I, I, those are the ways that I judge a wedding. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. But, but you know, a wedding, a typical wedding in, in the U.S., it lasts for a few hours. You're talking about, you know, I was talking to, to Lewis, and, and I was like, hey, bro, so how long do I have to officiate the wedding? And he said, you have 10 minutes. 
And I said, okay, I got this, 10 minutes. I've never preached a 10-minute message in my, in my entire life. But I was like, let's do this, 10 minutes. I got it. It's your wedding. It's not mine. So I'm going to do it in 10 minutes. And so um, and so, did it. How many of you guys, shout out to, to your pastor, I did it in 10 minutes. It was good. Now, 10 minutes, you have the ceremony, you have the walk-in, you have the vows, you have the rings, you have all of these moments together. You have, um, do you say, now you say, I do, now you do, you do this. Then we have the, the, the party after, you have the reception, you have cocktail hour, you got everything. We're talking about a good five hours, six hours. That's a typical wedding. But in, in other parts of the world, weddings are much longer. Specifically in the Middle East, weddings are extremely long. Specifically in the Middle East, weddings can take up to days. We're talking about days of parties. We're talking about days of, 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 of reception. We're talking about days where, where like people are celebrating, people are enjoying, people are, are, are being there, like people are together. We're talking about a long, great, great, great party. And the question that, that the disciples of John are asking the disciples of Jesus are this, why is it that you don't fast? And Jesus uses this example of a wedding. And he says this, he says, look, the, while it's the wedding ceremony, while it's the party, while everybody is celebrating, while the groom is there, there is no need to fast. There is no need for you to, to, to remove the delight. Why? Because the delight is present. You don't need to remove anything to be closer to God. You know why? Because God was standing in front of them. They didn't need to stop eating to hear from God. You know why? Because Jesus was doing what? Speaking directly to them. But he says this example. He says, one day the, the bridegroom will leave. And this is a reference to when Jesus would ascend. One day the bridegroom would leave. And on that day you would fast. Are you guys with me? He's establishing something. But the, what, what, what he says next is almost as important as, as what he just said. Because, look, a lot of people, they take this verse out of context about the new wine and the old wineskins. And a lot of people, they use it as a kind of a bashing verse. And then, and then like, like, for example, when a newer church wants to kind of do something different, they'll be like, God is giving us new wine, and you're an old wineskin, and so we can't match. And so they'll be like, you know, we want to paint our church black, and so you guys don't want This is a new wine. We want to, you know, no more choruses, no, no, no more, we want drums. It's a new wine and it's been used like that but actually the context of the passage if you look at it look what it's saying here he's saying this he's it's, it's in the context of fasting he's saying one day the bridegroom will be taken away and then he says this and then in this context there will be new wine and you cannot put new wine in old wine skins so it's in the context of what is he talking about guys in the context of fasting have you ever stopped to think about that I never heard a message. Nobody ever told me that this was in the context of fasting. Nobody. Ever, 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 ever. While I was reading this, it just popped out to me. It's in the context of fasting. Do you know why he's saying this is a new wine? I want to tell you something. Fasting in the Old Testament is different than fasting in the New Testament. And this new wine that Jesus is speaking of is he's saying, I'm establishing a new way for you to fast in the New Testament that's different from how you fast in the Old Testament. Are you guys with me this morning? He's establishing. He's saying, I'm giving you a new wine of fasting. 
Now, what was fasting used for in the Old Testament? Let's, let's look at this. What was fasting used for in the Old Testament? Here's one re- way that fasting was used. Fasting was used for consecration in the Old Testament. The Bible says that Joshua, before taking the promised land, he fasted to do what? Consecrate himself. Consecration. In the Old Testament, here's another reason you would fast. Fasting was used to express grief or sorrow to God. David, when he falls with Bathsheba, he decides, I'm going to fast to express the grief and the repentance of my sin. And so he fasts, rips his clothes, stays on the floor, prostrates himself, and says, God, I have sinned against you. And fasting was used as a means of grief and expressing sorrow to God in the Old Testament. Are you guys with me? I'm giving you guys, if you're taking notes, I'm giving you guys example, and I'm giving you guys the person who did it. Are you guys with me? Anybody taking good notes this morning? It's a lot for you to take notes. So do this, and I promise this will change your life. These are really good notes on, on fasting. The, the last one, it's not because it's me, it's because it's the Bible. The last way that, that the Bible teaches us that fasting was used in the Old Testament was it was used when you wanted God to do something. It was used as, as a way to make God move. The example of this, biblically, Old Testament, is Esther. The Bible says that Esther, when discovering that all of her people would be wiped out, she goes to the Lord and she does what? She fasts so that God would deliver her people. It's for intervention. Are you guys with me? However, fasting after the New Covenant, fasting after the New Testament, Jesus establishes that there is a new wine and now fasting has changed ever since Jesus has come to earth, died, resurrected, and ascended. So what do we do? Look, I want to tell you here some points that are really important before we continue to move on. Today, you do not need to fast to consecrate yourself. I want to tell you something. The Bible tells you that you cannot consecrate yourself. That Jesus died on the cross to take your sins so that he would consecrate you. He's the one who consecrates us. He's the one who makes us holy. I want to tell you something. Jesus is the one who consecrates you. You don't consecrate you. I want to tell you, you do not save yourself with behavior modifications. You do not save yourself with do's and don'ts. Jesus came and he saved you with his work. Jesus consecrates you. Are you guys with me? Jesus has intervened. Jesus is the one who comes, and he's the one who makes it. Do you know why you are consecrated? Pay attention. Do you know why you're consecrated? You are consecrated because you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. There's no more consecration that you could give to God because you have already consecrated yourself by the Holy Spirit living in you. Are you guys with me? Deliverance. You've already been delivered. You do not fast for deliverance. Do you know why? Because you already have deliverance inside of your life. Jesus Christ has delivered you by the cross and you have received deliverance if you have Jesus in your life. In the person and the work of Jesus Christ, you do not need to fast or repent to seek forgiveness. I want to tell you, you have forgiveness because of the work of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you right now, you do not fast to get something from God. I want to tell you right now, you do not fast to earn something. You do not fast to consecrate. You do not fast to, to ask for deliverance. You do not fast for these things. These are, not, these are Old Testament examples of how you fast. Today, there is a new way, a better way. There's a better way. There's a better way. 
Look, I, I remember, I'm going to give you guys an example. It's going to sound a little silly, but, but stay with me. I used to eat my steak well done. If, I, if somebody eats a well done steak next to me, I, I get angry at them today. But back in the day, I used to eat my steak well done. And, and I want to tell you a story. I have to be very careful how I tell the story because my wife is in the room. And, um, and, and, and it happened before... I met my wife. And so it happened when I was blind. It happened when I was, I was a wretch. It happened before I encountered the grace of God in my life. My wife is not jealous. She just doesn't even let me say my ex. You know, if I say my ex, she's like, what? She's nothing of yours anymore. She's nothing. She's nothing. She's an ex. She's not your ex. She's nothing of yours. So, so I have to be very careful how I say this. I, I, I tell her it was a different dispensation. I lived in another covenant back then. It was before I saw the light of Jesus in my life, baby. Today I love you. So I have to be very, very careful. But I remember I went on a date with a person. I will say it's a friend of mine who went on a date with a person. Let me make it a little bit better. So a friend of mine went on a date with a person. I just remember that on that date, um, one of the things that most shocked me was that we went out to eat, and when we went out to eat, they asked for their steak rare. Now, today, I eat my steak medium rare, and I found out that that's the Lord's preference, that God eats his steak medium rare, that God loves it. Like, that's the perfect point for a steak, and, and I don't care what you think. I'm telling you, that's the best point. It's, it's good, but rare is a little bit too much for me. You know when it's blue? You know when you cut it, and it moves, and it goes, oh! And because you're cutting it, because it's still alive, and, it, and it's there, and, 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 it, and it's just like, uh, you, you know we're about to start a fast. That's why I'm thinking about food all the time. And, 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 and you, you, you have that. And I remember looking at that and being like, that is disgusting. There is too much blood. That is blue. It, it, that cow just came out of the kitchen right now. Just, they just butchered him in the kitchen right now. What is going on? It's cold. It's not good. Today, I understand that a steak needs to be done medium rare. That's the best point. Now, if today I sit next to somebody who has their steak rare or, or well done, I will judge them and I'll say, look, that's not right, man. Listen, there is a better way. There is a new way that I've discovered. And this new way that I've discovered is much, much better. Now, look, this is all silly, but I want to tell you right now, there is an old way of fasting. And it was good, all right, for a long time for you. But Jesus established a new way of fasting. And this new way of fasting is much better. This new way of fasting is perfect. And I want you to understand that Jesus, we do not fast to get something from Jesus. We do not fast in exchange for anything. We, we fast because we have already tasted of Jesus Christ. I like what John Piper says. I don't know if we have this quote. I sent it. it, it John Piper says this. We have tasted the powers of the age to come. And our new fasting is not because we are hungry for something we have not tasted, but because the new line of Christ's presence is so real, it is so satisfying, it is the reason we fast. I want to tell you this, this is very important. We today, we do not fast because we have not tasted of something and we want to taste something. We want to obtain something. We want to grab something. That's not the reason we fast today. I want to tell you why we fast today. Today, we fast because we've already tasted of Jesus Christ. Today, we fast because we've already experienced him. Today, we fast because we know how good he is. And when we fast, we choose to leave behind the natural tastes and desires for this world. We go hungry, physically speaking, but we enjoy our feet 
tasting, spiritually speaking. I want to tell you something. Fasting is not a diet. You've heard this before. Fasting is about eating all the time. But you're not eating natural food. You're eating spiritual food. Fasting is feasting. While you fast your natural body, you feast in your spiritual body. You're not bargaining. You're not trading. You are feasting. Do you know why we fast? Pay attention. Take notes. If you're taking notes, write this down. We fast because we've tasted something better than food. We fast because we want to feast on something better than the natural things of this life. Do you know why we fast? Psalm 63. Because his love is better than our life. I want to tell you something. I love steak. I love cheeseburgers. I love nachos. I'm getting ready to fast, and so I'm already suffering. I love good food. I love going to the restaurants. My wife, she gets upset with me because I am stingy with my money. I save, and I budget, and I keep money, and she asks me, babe, do you want new clothes? No, I do not. My clothes are fine. I can wear this for another two years. I am good to go. I'm okay, but when it comes to food, I say, let's spend. I love food. I eat food. Oh, it's 50 bucks? Is it good? Is it worth 50 bucks? Yeah? Okay, then let's get it. Let's get it. But here's the reality. The love of God is better than any food that I could eat. The love of God tastes much better than anything this life has to offer. The love of God tastes better than relationships. It tastes better than marriage. It tastes better than sex. It tastes better than the pleasures of this world. The love of God tastes better than anything this world has to offer. And when I understand that his love is better than my life, then I am able to fast and feast on who he is. I love the songs. Songs of Solomon says this, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth because his love is more delightful than wine. Who here loves a good wine? Don't don't have to feel guilty. Don't have to feel condemned. Don't have to raise your hand. You can drink some wine. It's okay. It's a good wine. But it says this, his love is better than the best wine. His love is better than the most delicious wine. His love is better than the sweetest of delicacies, the best dessert, the best chocolate, the best sugar, everything. His love is better. You see, I want you to understand something. Fasting is feasting. It sounds so simple, but I want to tell you that when you fast, there are some things that you got to know. Some things that you have to understand when you fast. And and I want you to get this. Because fasting is about discovering something that tastes better and choosing to abstain from things so that you can pursue that thing that is better. But I want to tell you something that's really real and that's really going to be good. At some point, at some moment, guess what? It's going to become hard when you fast. If you've decided to join this fast, I want to tell you it's going to get hard. I want to tell you at some point during this fast, there's going to be a voice that's going to show up and it's going to say, this is stupid. I'm going to tell you right now, at some point in this fast, there's going to be a voice that says, what's the use of this? There's going to be a voice that's going to show up and it's going to pop up and it's going to say, just a bite. Just a bite. Just a quick moment. Just this thing. And you're going to start to realize that your fast is going to be challenged. Look, I want to tell you, not only does God take notice of you when you fast, but Satan takes notice of you when you fast. There's a moment in the Bible where, where the disciples, they cannot cast out a demon. And they ask God, Jesus, Jesus, why can't we cast him out? You can cast him out. Why can't we cast him out? And Jesus says, because this type does not come out except with fasting. I want to tell you, when you fast, not only does heaven take notice, but hell takes notice. 
and it's going to be difficult. You know, in your body, there's something called ghrelin, G-H-R-E-L-I-N, ghrelin. And ghrelin is the hormone in your body that makes your stomach growl. How many of you guys have had those awkward moments where everything is silent and your stomach goes... How many of you guys have ever had those awkward moments where everything is just quiet and suddenly your stomach starts to talk very loudly? And it starts to growl. That growling, that signal, that sign, it's developed by this hormone called ghrelin. Ghrelin assaults you when you haven't had to eat. Ghrelin assaults you about two to three hours. And it grumbles. And it tells you you need a cheeseburger. It tells you you need some food. It tells you you need some rice and beans. It tells you you need to do it. It's calling out and saying, feed me. You have not eaten. Feed me. You have not eaten breakfast. Feed me. You have not eaten lunch. Feed me. Feed me. Feed me. Feed me. It's, it's, it's there. You know, ghrelin is that thing that, that makes you, while you're fasting, you're like, okay, I'm fasting. And you're like, okay, right now it's probably like 9 o'clock. And then you look at the watch and you're like, actually, it's 9 a.m. Because you want to eat at 9.30. And you're like, oh, it's not. No, no, actually, it's really hurt. Ghrelin is the thing that works, that makes your stomach hungry. Are you guys with me? You think that you can't do this. You think this is nuts. But I want to tell you, when you think that you can't do it, when you think that it's nuts, when you think that it's too hard, that's when it's working. That's when it's actually getting good. That's when something has actually happened inside of you. I want to tell you something. God wants to give you a spiritual ghrelin. He wants to give you a spiritual ghrelin. You know what a spiritual ghrelin is? It's the spiritual ghrelin that's going to be inside of you, that's going to start to rumble and start to crackle inside of you, and it's going to tell you, you need to pray. You need to fast. You need to read your Bible. You need to spend time with me. It's going to be a hunger inside of you. God wants to develop this inside of you that you would start to understand and you would start to get that God wants to cause you to get hungry and eat. You know, the things in the kingdom of God are upside down. Naturally, the more you eat, the less you're hungry. In the kingdom of God, let me tell you something. The more you eat, the more you get hungry of the things of God. The more you read your word, the more you want to read the word. The more you pray, the more you want to pray. But the opposite stands true as well. The less you pray, the less you want to pray. The less you read, the less you want to read. You know what God wants to do? He wants your spiritual life to become as active as your snack life. He wants your spiritual life to become as active as your snack life. Is anybody like me? I, 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 in the, at the nighttime, at around 1130... I become a werewolf in that kitchen looking for a snack. And my wife, she is blessed with many things, but she does not buy me good snacks. And so I look for the snacks like a madman. And so I'm looking and I'm rummaging. Is there some chips? Is there some Doritos? Is there some food? Is there some peanut butter? Is there something for me to snack on in this time? Is there some Tostitos? Is there some, some Hot Pockets? I don't know. Something fast. I don't want to make any food at 12 midnight. And so it's this thing that I start getting ravenous. I, 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 ravenous. I start wanting to eat everything. It's a snack life. How many of you guys ever want a snack? During work? During your job? during your school, at night. I want to tell you something. God wants your spiritual life to be as active as your snack life. God wants, when you don't pray, for you to be just as miserable as when you don't eat. God wants, when you don't pray, for you to just be as miserable as when you don't eat. 
what I want to ask and what I want to pray for you today is that during this time of, of fasting, that you would develop hunger, but that it wouldn't be a hunger that's a natural hunger. That the biggest point of this fast, at the end of it, you wouldn't say, wow, I was hungry. Wow, I lost some weight. Wow, I ate some healthy food. Wow, I had a Daniel fast. Wow, I had one meal. Wow, I had, I had this. Wow, I stayed. I, I, don't, I don't want you to get to that point. Our desire as a church is that we would call to action every single person in this room, every single person in our community to fast. Do you know why? Because naturally speaking, if we all lived a life of fasting, this would be great, this would be easy, but a lot of times we need a call to action to fast. And you know what's great? When you have brothers and sisters beside you who can help you in this fast. I told my wife, I'm gonna do a Daniel fast. I said, okay, I'm going to do Daniel, and I'm going to do it. You know what happens when I do Daniel? My whole entire family's health habits change. My wife's, and my wife, is, she's so gracious, she's so wonderful, that she's willing to, to do that, to go in the extra preparation time. A lot of times she's going to have to make food for everybody, and everybody's going to be eating vegan for a few days. And, and, and you know, my house, we love steak. As you can tell, as I've mentioned it several times during this word. But I pray that you would develop a spiritual hunger in this time. I'm praying that you would start to have people in this room right now who are saying, look, in 2022, even though we're past the halfway point, I'm not going to waste the second half of my year. I'm not going to waste this last bit. Even though a lot of people have given up on their resolutions, on what they started, on the journey they began, I want to just pray that God would lift up people in this room who would say, I'm going to abstain from the things of this world, the things that these things cannot satisfy me spiritually, and I'm going to start to get hungry for God. Hunger changes things. I want to close with just two stories. And I'm just going to give you two points at the end, and we're going to close. There's a story in the Bible, in the book of Kings. It's in 2 Kings chapter 7. This story has been consistently been popping up in my devotional, my prayers, in my reading, in my time with God. I've actually seen this story so many times. I don't know if it's, you know when you, it's like a car, and you're like, oh, I bought this car, now I see this car everywhere. Anybody ever had that experience? I don't know if it's like that, but I just keep seeing this verse, these verses all the time. And... It's a story of the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel, at this point, they've been cut off. They're, they're under siege. And they run out of food. And all of their stock ends, guys. And what happens is that they start fighting for what's left over of food. And look how crazy. This is kind of disgusting, but, but, but this is what it says. The Bible says that the people in the city became so hungry that they would pay 80 pieces of silver. That is half of a month's wage to buy a donkey's head, to eat a donkey's head. Half of a month's wage for a donkey's head. It says that they would peel the skin and they would cook the skin because they didn't have enough. The Bible gives an example. It's very radical. It says that the people were so hungry that they would trade five pieces of silver for a cup of dove's dung. That means dove's waste. They started eating the waste of animals. You see, when you're hungry, if you don't consume the right things to fill that hunger, you will begin to feed on things that you should have never eaten to fill that hunger. 
I believe with all my heart, if you don't direct your spiritual hunger in seasons to feed and to hunger after spiritual things, that those hungers, if they're not directed towards God, towards the word, towards worship, towards a greater relationship with Jesus, I believe that your hungers will start to be directed to wrong things. You'll begin to feed on the internet. You'll begin to feed on social media. You'll begin to feed on relationships. You'll begin to feed on people and it'll leave your soul empty and dried. This is a season where God's calling us to to draw near to him. This is a season where God doesn't want us to substitute the spiritual food for the natural food. He wants us to substitute the natural food for what? Spiritual food. Look, you're trying to fill hunger. Pay attention. You're trying to fill your hunger. You're trying to fill your hunger with another trip. You're trying to fill your hunger with Netflix. You're trying to fill your hunger with entertainment, with distractions. Let's go to the game. Let's go to the lake. Let's go to the beach. Let's go to the mountains. Let's get this house. Let's get this car. Let's jump on this project. You're trying to fill a hunger inside of you, but this hunger will only be filled by Jesus. So I'm going to tell you this story. It's very interesting. The people are hungry, and outside of the the, the nation of Israel, they have a leper colony. Lepers were ostracized, so they were kicked out of society. And so imagine this. If the city's going hungry, imagine the lepers who are the outcasts. And so the Bible tells the story of how these, these lepers, they're all dying, literally dying of hunger. They're literally dying of hunger. They're the outcasts. They're not even important to be enough in, inside Look, the Bible tells us that these guys who are hungry, they all start looking at each other and saying, we're going to die. We're so hungry, and we're going to die if we stay. So they start coming up with a plan. Because of their hunger, they come up with a plan to go to the enemy's camp to get food. So they're here, and they're like, look, we're so hungry. We're so desperate. We're going to go to the enemy's camp to get food. I want to tell you, God, as I was praying this word, God told me this. Sometimes the people who are most disadvantaged and overlooked, the ones who have heard you're not pretty enough, you're not talented enough, you're not gifted enough, are the ones who have the most hunger. And the ones who have the most hunger are the ones who will see things happen. Look what happened here. The only thing that these leprous men had was hunger. The only thing that they had was hunger. I want to tell you, the only thing that will move you out of your comfort zone, out of your complacency, into the things that God can do for you, the only thing that will get you there is your hunger. The only thing that pushed these men was their hunger. The only thing that was pushing these men was their hunger. And so this is what they said. They said this. They said, let us go to the army of the Syrians. Let us just go there. Let us just see. Maybe they'll give us food. And if they don't give us food, maybe we'll die. But listen, if we stay, we're going to die anyways. So we might as well go and do this. You know what happened? They were pushed by their hunger. Everybody say hunger. I want to tell you, they, they were hopeless, but they were hungry. Everybody say hopeless, but hungry. Look, the hunger was so bad. Pay attention. The hunger was so bad. The hunger was so, so bad in that city. Let me, let me make things worse. That the Bible says that the people of that city boil and eat their own children. It says this, that they would start to say, today we're going to eat our children so that tomorrow we're going to eat your children. 
That's how bad the hunger had, had happened. Are you guys with me? It was horrible. It was a dark moment. The people of God had, had, had caused them to be in such a situation that they put themselves in this horrible situation. And now everybody is hungry. Everybody is, is starving. And you know what happens here? They say this. It's better for us to go up there and to go down fighting than to sit here and to die. I want to tell you, for good or for bad, hunger will drive you. And you know what happens? These men, they go up. And the Bible says that God, there's only four of them. So if you think about four, that's eight feet, okay? I think it's eight feet that you say? Eight feet. And they start walking up the mountain to go to the enemy's camp. And the Bible says that God makes their feet sound like an army. And so eight feet sounds like 10,000. Eight feet sounds like 8,000 feet. And what happens is the enemy starts to hear the grumbling on the ground. And they say, there's an army coming to kill us. And so you know what they do? They leave all of their stuff and they run as fast as they can out. And these lepers, you know what happens? They enter into the camp. All of the gold all of the food, all of the animals, everything is left behind. These lepers go back to Israel and they say, Israel, God has provided food for us. Israel goes into the enemy's camp and they have food to eat. You know why? Because hunger drove them. Let me tell you, your hunger will drive you. Do you know what, what Esau, the Bible says the story of Esau, it's a man, he's so hungry that he trades his birthright for his blessings for a bowl of food. Listen, you will either choose to have food or the things of God, but I want to tell you, hunger will drive you. A hunger for God or a hunger for natural things. Can I, can I share this? This is such a good, this is such a good, like I, when God, when I got this, like it hit me so hard. The prodigal son. Everybody's heard the story of the prodigal son. Takes his dad's money, spends his dad's money, is left in the pig pen. You know what the Bible says? Check this out. Look how insane this is. Look what it says. It says that he, he, he had nothing. He was in the stench. He was in the pig pen. He was disappointed. His friends had abandoned him. He had spent all his money. He, he was in the filth. But you know what drove him home? It wasn't his lack of friends. It wasn't his lack of filth. That's not what brought him home. It wasn't that he didn't have money. That's not what brought him home. It wasn't that he just missed his dad's house. That's not what brought him home. Luke chapter 15 verse 17. Look what it says here. How many of my father's servants have bread? How many of my father's servants have bread? You know what drove him back home? Hunger. Food. He said, I am hungry. He said, listen, will I perish with hunger? That's what the prodigal son said. He said, will I perish with hunger? Do you know what drove him to his dad's house? What drove that prodigal son out of the pig pen, out of the fuel, out of the, the, the mud, back into the beauty and the love and the grace of the father's house is what he says. He says, I am hungry. It's hungry that will cause prodigal sons and daughters to return home. It's hunger that will cause people to go up on mountains when they feel that they cannot climb up the mountain. It's hunger that's going to keep people moving. It's hunger that's going to change your family. It's hunger that's going to shape your life. It's hunger that's going to mark your future. It's hunger that's going to get you the breakthrough. It's hunger hunger but it's not the hunger that's natural it's the hunger that comes from feasting on God your love is better than wine your love is better than wine 
I want to spend a thousand days. I would spend one day in your house than a thousand days elsewhere. I love you. It's this, it's this hunger. Look, don't get, don't get it mistaken. Two last points. Fasting will be an MRI in your life. Fasting will be an MRI in your life. Do you know what the number one choice of drugs is in the United States? It's not alcohol. It's not cocaine. It's not marijuana. It's not. The number one choice of drug is the drug of comfort. It is food. Have you ever heard the, the phrase, don't eat your feelings? Do you know what we do? When we're upset, when we're angry, when we're frustrated, instead of dealing with it, do you know what, what our, our, our habit is? We eat. I just went through a breakup. What is my habit? I just am suffering. What do I need? We make jokes about it. We make movies about it. A bowl of ice cream is all I need. Why? Because it's comfort. And we don't realize this, but, but, but fasting will be an MRI in your life. Uh, uh, Richard Foster, he says this. He says that fasting will reveal that your stomach is a spoiled brat and that you are a bad parent. Every time your stomach growls, you know what you do? Just stick it food. You're going to realize that your stomach is a spoiled brat and that you cave to every single whim that that brat tells you. I want to tell you, fasting will be an MRI in your life. Fasting is going to be difficult. Things are going to be brought up when you fast. And you're not going to be able to hide it in food. Oh, you're going to find out I'm actually more stressed than I think. You're going to find out I actually am more angry than I thought. You're going to find out I actually don't have as much patience as I wished. But it's okay. I want to tell you, the Lord, he says, come to me with those flaws. I have grace for you to transform you and to help you. That leads me to this other point. Fasting will produce power in your life. Fasting will produce power in your life. How do I get this? Where do I get this from? I, could, I don't have time, but I could open up the book of Acts and tell you every time that the people in the book of Acts did not know what to do. The people of God, the first century church, what they would do is they would stop and they would fast. And when they stopped and they fast, they'd find solutions, they'd find answers, they'd find grace, and they would find power to move. I don't know where to go. They would fast and the Holy Spirit would say, send Paul and Barnabas to the right. I don't know what to do. Holy Spirit would say, lay hands right now. Fasting produces power. Finally, fasting is feasting. I pray for you that during this season of fasting, that you would be able to, to say this verse and mean it. There's a verse, David writes this. He says, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. A deer, if you're a hunter, you might know this. If you like hunting, you might know this. A deer is looking for water. It's, it's searching. It doesn't know where there's water. And it's desperate for water. And it finds water. As a deer is desperate for water, so my soul is desperate for Jesus. David, he wrote, God, you are my God. I earnestly seek you with all of my soul. My soul thirsts for you. 
my flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary and I will find your power and your glory. My flesh faints for you. My soul longs for you. David said this, as I mentioned, one thing I ask and this one thing I will seek all the days of my life that I might dwell in the house of the Lord, that I might gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, that I might find him in his temple. Fasting will be feasting. I want to tell you fasting won't be easy. I want to tell you fasting isn't going to be simple. I'm going to tell you you're going to be tempted. You're going to be exhausted. Things are going to come out that you might not know. It's going to be an x-ray, an MRI in your life. Things are going to show. But I want to tell you something. If we would position ourselves to fast correctly, I'm telling you, the hunger for the things of this world would start to die away and fade, and the hunger for the things of God would begin to increase. This is the point of this fast. Our fast is that this church would erupt in praise. Our fast is that this church would erupt with hunger of God, that our church would never be the same after these. 21 days that our church not just the leaders not just the pastors not just the youth everyone in our church would gather and your family would never be the same your relationships would never be the same your family your relatives would notice a difference in your life that you would start to see a shift happen I want to tell you hunger will transform your life hunger will produce something in you and this morning I invite you to join in this fast and to say fasting will be feasting in my life. I will abstain from the natural things to feast on the supernatural things. Can you stand up right now, wherever you are? I want to invite you to close your eyes. I want to invite you to bow your heads. Maybe you're a visitor here. You didn't plan on hearing a message on fasting. But I believe that God does not do things by accident or coincidence. That if you're here, this is a call to action. That if you're here, this is a, a perfect time, a perfect moment, a perfect season, a perfect opportunity. Listen, you don't have to have it all together. Listen, it doesn't have to be crazy. You don't have to do, say, I'm going to go on water for 21 days. I'm going to go on one meal. Do something simple. Say, I'm going to fast from one moment to another. Say, I'm going to fast from sundown to sundown. Say, I'm going to fast one meal. If you, if you want to go even further, say, I'm going to fast this specific food. I won't eat this food. However you choose to fast, I want to invite you to pray to God. I believe the Holy Spirit is asking and inviting a lot of us to step in faith. So this morning, church, would you close your eyes right now? Let me pray for you. Jesus, I just pray right now that, Jesus, we will respond to you in this call, God. That, Jesus, this would be part of our lives. We recognize, Jesus, that your word says that when we would fast, Jesus, you expected us, Jesus, to abstain, Jesus, from the things of this world, Jesus. And Jesus, I just pray that during this time, we would feast on you, Jesus. We would start to eat of you. 
we would start to read your word and feast on your word we would start to feast on who you are we would abstain from social media from the distractions of this world and we would just feast on your goodness we would just feast on your kindness we would just feast on who you are and Jesus that it would change our church that it would change our lives that it would change our families Jesus this is what I pray this morning it's what I'm declaring this morning can you tell the Lord right now ask him say God is this your desire for my life